Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. How are you folks doing today? It's good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Clark. I'm the pastor. If we have never met before, I would love to meet you and get to know your family a little bit. So feel free to stick around. We're in a sermon series called DNA, and uh, we're looking at eight biblical values that we said that we want our church to be defined by. Uh, we said that we want to be known for these eight biblical core values. Um, and we're not creating these. We said that we're not making... We're not making these up. This is what God desires His church and His bride to be known for. So if you're just now locking in with us for this sermon series, um, here's kind of a recap of what we've talked about so far. Uh, back in week one, we talked about how we value the Bible and its authority. We want to pattern our lives after the Bible. We said that when life cuts us, we want to bleed God's Word. In week two, we talked all about prayer and we said that we want to be a church where we pray not just corporately, but also privately. We want uh, prayer to be a first response and not a last resort. Last week, if you were here, we looked at worship and how we believe that every facet of the church's worship aims to glorify God and edify His people. And so today we're going to look at our next value together, which is missional. Missional. And here's what we have to say about that value. We are not just a people that goes to church. We are a church that goes to people. Personal relationships connect people to Jesus. Our everyday lives are our mission field. We're committed to embracing God's mission, understanding what the mission demands of us, and living as missional ambassadors. And that word ambassadors actually comes out of a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks about that. We won't um, address that passage today, but I just want you to know in case you were wondering about that word ambassador. So I want to begin our time together uh, with a quote from this Swiss theologian, uh, Emil Brunner. He says this, The church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. And where there is neither church nor mission, there is no faith. In other words, according to Brunner, the church exists for reaching the world around us. So as long as we're not on mission, as long as we're not reaching out to those who do not have a relationship with Christ, we're not really fulfilling who we are as a church. It means that we're called to be God's ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, as Paul would put it. But if we're going to be these ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation that God has called us to be, then we have to be ready. We have to be ready to share our faith at any time. Uh, every day we find these opportunities, whether they be at work or whether they be at home, the store, the classroom, or even at church, to make an eternal difference in someone's life. And so many people will say, gosh, I just wish that God would give me these opportunities to share my faith. 
if God gave me this opportunity, then I would, I would share my faith. But you don't actually have to hope because God gives us these opportunities every day. And the problem isn't that God has not given us these opportunities. The problem is that we don't recognize these opportunities when they come to us. So I actually have two goals for this morning's message. The first goal is to help you become more aware of the opportunities that God has already given you to share your faith. The second goal is to actually give you some practical tools in how to share your faith with those around you. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is where I'd like to begin our time together. Uh, we'll have the words up on the screen for you as well if you don't have a Bible. Uh, by the way, if you're not familiar with uh, the book of Acts, this book of the Bible is written by a guy named Luke. Uh, Luke was the author of both the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. Uh, Luke was a physician, uh, the only non-Jewish individual to write any part of the New Testament. So that's the writer of the book of Acts. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the story that we're going to look at together this morning. This is a story about a guy named Philip and also an Ethiopian. And we're going to learn some important lessons on how to be ready to share our faith. So we're going to break in at verse 26. Hopefully you're there by now. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Here's what it says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand of the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I mean, this is an incredible story that we're given in Scripture. This is God giving Philip this opportunity to share his faith with this Ethiopian government official, who is pretty high up assistant to the queen, and this Ethiopian becomes perhaps the first ever uh, convert from the continent of Africa, as far as we can tell, at least. But he is from this country of Ethiopia, which incidentally today has 46 million Christians. 46 million. So this one convert, because Philip took advantage of this, blossoms into, almost 2,000 years later, 46 million Jesus followers in this nation of Africa. But here's the catch. If Philip 
had not been ready for this encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch, this Ethiopian man would have never heard the gospel. And who knows what the nation of Ethiopia would be like today. Because God uses us when we're ready to be used. Philip had his eyes open, his ear attuned to where God wanted to lead him. And Philip wasn't prepared to talk about his faith. If he wasn't prepared to talk about his faith, then he couldn't have introduced this man to Jesus. And if I'm not prepared, and if you're not prepared, no matter how many opportunities that God gives us to share our faith, to make a difference, God's not going to be able to use us either. So we need to be ready to share our faith at any time. But the question is, how do we do that? What does that actually look like practically? How do we get ready to become the ambassadors that God is calling us to be? I think there's actually three steps uh, to be ready. So if you're taking notes, you can write these down. But step one, I think, is to be where God wants you to be. Be where God wants you to be. This is a physical readiness, and I'm not talking about a physical fitness, or else I've failed that big time. I'm talking about are you in the place geographically, locationally, that God wants you to be? Because you really can't influence people for God if you're not where God wants you to be. If we think back to the story that we just read a second ago um, in Acts chapter 8, God tells Philip in verse 26, he needs to go down the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And that's what Philip does. Uh, Philip goes where God tells him to go. And then notice God says in verse 29, go to that chariot and stay near it. And that's what he does. But listen, you know this and I know this. God seldom is going to speak audibly like that. In my personal experience, I've never heard God talk. I've never heard something like rattle in my eardrum. That's never actually happened to me, but God does lead us to where he wants us to be. So just listen to me say this. You are where you are right now for a reason. Whether you're born and raised right here in Rittman, Ohio, or you moved here for a job or for family or whatever, God has you where you are in your life for a purpose. And it's not an accident. God has you in your job. God has you in your neighborhood. God has you in your school. God has you in the family that you're in. And God has brought the friends that you have in your life. God did all of these things for a reason. God has placed you there in these locations for the sake of the gospel. So if you think about the way that Paul did his missionary journeys, it was through networks. He had friends in this town, and so he goes there, and then he has friends in that town, and so they go there. He would work through networks, but all of us have different networks as well. You know people that I will probably never meet in my lifetime. I know people that you will probably never meet in your lifetime. And so the people that you know that I don't know, that's your responsibility to share the gospel with them. I'm not going to meet them, so that's, that's you. And the people that I know that you don't know, that's my responsibility to share the gospel with them. God has put each of us in particular places in order to share the gospel with those around us. That's what I mean by physical readiness. Are you where you need to be physically? And the answer is usually yes. God has placed you there. 
So now the question is, are you going to live out what God has called you to do in the situation that you're in? Here's the second one. Be aware of who God wants you to invest in. Be aware of who God wants you to invest in. You might think of this as a spiritual readiness. By this I mean, who is God working in around you? Being aware of who God is working in and then being involved in what God is already doing. In other words, see where God is working and then go and join him. And this is what Philip does. Notice in verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are doing? Philip asked. So you can see that God was already working in the heart of this Ethiopian man. You see, what Philip was doing was he was spiritually ready to go to this man and to share Jesus with him. And we find ourselves in similar situations where God is working in some people. For example, if you think again of your friends and your family and your coworkers and maybe your classmates, you're going to have two different types of people. People that don't know the Lord uh, in your life. The first group, some of your friends and family members, coworkers, are a long way from God. And they're, quite honestly, they, they don't want to talk about God. Uh, they're not really interested in the things of God. And, and maybe there's some names or faces that pop up when we uh, mention that group. And another group, group number two, this group is also not uh, believers. They're not followers of Jesus. They're not Christians. But you can see that God is kind of working in their heart a little bit. They're a little bit more open to the gospel. And the mistake that so many of us make is we focus uh, so much on people that are opposed to the gospel and opposed to the things of God, and we try so hard with that that we miss the opportunities, we miss the person that's quietly sitting over there, a person who God is really working in their heart, a person whose heart may be ready to hear the message of the gospel. But Philip didn't miss this opportunity. God is working in the heart of the Ethiopian. He is already reading Scripture. Because God was getting ready to help him hear the gospel. So we need to be spiritually ready in our lives. So that when we can see folks that are ready to hear the gospel in our spheres of influence, in our natural pathway of life. The people where God is already working in their hearts. So who are these people? Who are these people that God is working in their hearts? One easy way that you can kind of pinpoint this, uh, who God is working in, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down as well. There's people who are under tension, in transition, or in trouble. People who are under tension, in transition, or in trouble. The three T's. This is not original with me, but, but I think it's helpful, so I think it might be helpful for you too. When people are under tension, this could be stress at work. This could be financial problems. This could be facing anxiety. This is a person who is under tension. People who are in transition. This is people who are moving to a new city, a new job, a new marriage, a new baby, kids starting school for the first time, a season of transition. And then we have people who are in trouble, people who are about to lose a job, lose their house, lose a relationship, or they're facing a serious illness. 
It's in times like this when people are under tension, in transition, or in trouble. It's in those moments when people can start to see, I need something that's bigger than myself. A lot of time when people are in these situations in life, they realize, I need God. They realize that they can't do it on their own. Tension, transition, trouble. When you see your friends and your family members and your coworkers in tension, transition, and in trouble, they might be calling out in their spirit for something bigger than themselves. And this could be exactly the time for you to share the gospel with them. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That God demonstrates his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, yes, his death paid for the price of our sins. That Jesus' resurrection proves that God accepted Jesus' death as payment for our sins. And that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you physically ready? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you spiritually ready to be attuned to the needs around you? Here's the third one. Be ready to share your faith at any time. Be ready to share your faith at any time. You might think of this as intellectual readiness. We need to be prepared to share our faith at any time. And this is where you're in the right place. You're there physically. You've found someone who is in tension, in transition, in trouble, and they've been asking you questions about your faith. Like, they're actually taking an interest. They can see that something's different about your life. And you can tell that God is working in their heart, that God's already up to something, and you're just joining God. So now the question is, are you intellectually ready to share your faith with them? Philip was ready. When you look at the story that we read in Acts chapter 8, you see that he's looking at the Ethiopian. Notice in verse 30, 31, Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Bounce down to verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. That's what I want us to do for the rest of our time this morning. I want to ask the question, how can we do this? I want to give you four easy ways for you to share your faith with those that are around you. And let me just say this this morning, that if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you're online and watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, then you picked a really great Sunday to be here. Because I'm going to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and let you see what we as Christians believe. So four ways to share my faith at any time. Here's the first one. With your story. With your story. Your story is a powerful way to share your faith and to influence another person. And what's so great about your story is that you don't have to make anything up. It's happened to you. You don't have to do a bunch of research. You don't have to, uh, you, you can just tell people what happened in your life. It's straightforward. It's easy. And a testimony can be very powerful. And if you've never done that before, I would challenge you to actually write out your story, write out your testimony. Take all this stuff that, uh, 
um, excuse me, you can, you can maybe make it one to three minutes long, right? People don't want to hear your whole story, your whole life story, but you can get it concise and you can write it and you can type it and you can just start practicing your story so that you're ready to share that with people around you. And like I said, your testimony is powerful because people can relate to your story. People cannot argue with your story. It's irrefutable, right? You're just like, it happened to me. I don't know what to tell you. So this is a great way to share your faith with someone. A second way for you to share your faith is just two words. Do and done. Do and done. This is probably one of the easiest uh, illustrations that I've ever come across. And it's a really great illustration for someone who says that being a Christian is too hard. Right? Someone that says, being a Christian is too hard. There's all these rules that I have to follow, and I don't really know how to do that. For some people, when they think of religion, they think that it's spelled with two letters, D-O, right? Do. So you're sharing the gospel with a friend, and maybe you're over at Applebee's or wherever, and you write down on a napkin those two letters, D-O. And so maybe people think that when it comes to religion, there's just a big to-do list. People think that these are all the things that I need to do. Can I do enough good things to earn God's favor? Can I do enough good things to get into heaven? And honestly, even some Christians would spell their faith D-O. That's what a lot of non-Christians tend to think about Christians. In fact, if you're here today or watching online and you're not a Christian, you might actually think that that's what we're all about. Or these are all things that you need to do. Church can turn people off because they think all these people want to do is to tell me what to do. They think that we have a big to-do list and that we have an even bigger to-don't list. But the truth is this, every religion is about D-O. They're all about do, except one. The only way of relating to God that is not about do is Christianity. Because for Christians, we teach that eternal life is not about what I can do. It's about doing. It's not about doing good works. It's not even about not doing bad things. The word do has nothing to do with it when it comes to our faith. Because we teach as Christians that Jesus came to do everything on our behalf. So it's no longer D-O, do, but now it's D-O, then you add the N and the E. So it's done. Jesus has done all the work that needs to be done. Jesus did what I could never do. Jesus has already done it. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. Jesus' death was the perfect sacrifice to take care of our past and our present and our future sin. And if you receive that, if you receive what Jesus has already done on your behalf, God's going to make your life brand new. He's going to wipe away the sins of your past, and He's going to secure eternal life from this day going forward. So again, as you're at Applebee's, wherever, riding on the napkin, you see it's no longer due, it's done. It's about what Jesus has done. And a great Bible verse for this is in Ephesians 2. 
8 and 9, where Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. In other words, it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, it's what's been done. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So you see how it's already been done. And there's no do here. It's already been done. And God did it because He loves us. The work is done on our behalf, and all we need to do is accept what Jesus has already done. He's already done on the cross. It's not about us. It's not about a to-do list. It's not about a to-don't list. It's about what's already been done list. It's already been done in the work of Jesus. So a real simple illustration, it's literally just six letters. Do and done. This is a very easy way to share your faith. Here's a third way. The morality ladder. The morality ladder. The morality ladder is a helpful illustration to share with people who are sort of the opposite of the do versus done crowd. The do versus done crowd are people who are worried that they can't do enough. The morality ladder is people who think, I'm a pretty good person. I think that I have done enough. So I'm pretty sure that I'm going to heaven. You might know some people like that. So if you have some friends who think that they don't really need God, or if you yourself think, you know what, I'm living a pretty good life. As long as I'm batting a good enough batting average here, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to get into heaven. This is the illustration for them. So let me put up this ladder up on the screen for you. I'm not a good artist. I made this on my PowerPoint last night, but you get the picture. It's a ladder, right? You have heaven at the top, worst possible person at the bottom, perfection at the top there. This is the morality ladder, and you'll probably need a bigger napkin at Applebee's to pull this one off, but... Uh, you see the ladder where uh, it's in the middle of the screen. At the bottom, like I said, worst possible person. Um, and then at the top, we have heaven. And then right below that, perfection. Right? If, you, if you can't read that, that's what that says. So the morality ladder is going from the worst possible person all the way up to perfection. In other words, the best possible person. So you can draw this morality ladder on a piece of paper, napkin, whatever, and you go, okay, let's, ha let's have some fun with this. Let's put some people on this morality ladder. Where, where would some people go, you ask? Let's think of the worst possible person you could ever think of. And it can't be me. Put them on the morality ladder. So, so you start thinking, you go, okay, we've got terrorists. Uh, we've got murderers. We have child abusers. All kinds of different people that you could put on there. And then you go, okay, who is a really bad person? Okay. Hitler. I think we can all agree on that one. So you say, okay, let's put Hitler on there. So you have Hitler on there. And so he's not Satan incarnate, but he's maybe just like one click above it. He's probably, uh, maybe he loved his mom or something. But Hitler is still really, really low on the morality ladder. Okay, so now let's think of a good person. Who's a really good person? I think many of us, the name that comes to our mind is probably Mother Teresa, right? So let's put Mother Teresa up there. Even if you're not a Christian, many people know who Mother Teresa is. Um, by the way, Mother Teresa, uh, she would be the first person to tell you that she's not perfect. But we're going to put her all the way up at the top. And then another good one is probably Billy Graham, right? Let's represent the Baptists. 
So let's get Billy Graham up there. Uh, kind of right there neck and neck with Mother Teresa. So these are some really good people, right? So you're sitting at Applebee's or D Depot, wherever. Um, you've got this really big napkin. And you say, okay, so where, where would you put me on this? Right? I don't know. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Mother Teresa. But I'm not the worst guy in the world. So, right, put me wherever you like. So let's just say you, you put me somewhere there. Yeah. That's pretty generous. You go, okay, well, where would you put yourself? That's a little bit harder. Uh, maybe, maybe they start thinking, I don't know. I haven't really stolen that much stuff. I guess I have a few enemies or whatever. I guess I've watched some bad stuff every now and then, but you know what? I love my kids and I pay my bills. I, I feed my pets. I don't know. Put me a little bit below you. All right, so, so we put that. Now we have our ladder up there. We have, we have you up there. M Mother Teresa, Billy Graham at the top, Hitler at the bottom, us somewhere in the middle. So then you ask them, okay, now where do you draw the line where you get into heaven? Surveys show that about 80% of Americans think that they're going to heaven. So Americans are going to draw that line right below where it says you. So, so you have your good enough line there. But the problem is, how do you know that that's the right place to draw that line? Why didn't you draw the line above you and right below Clark? Or why didn't you draw the line right above Clark and right below Mother Teresa? Or why didn't you draw the line right above Hitler so that anyone who's slightly better than Hitler can go? Or why not draw it below Hitler? Who gets to decide where to draw the good enough line? That's the problem with the morality ladder. Because if we don't make it to the top, then we have to think of some arbitrary reason to put that good enough line. And normally, we put it kind of right below ourselves. But if we read through Scripture, the issue is that he doesn't put the line there. In Scripture, the line is already at the top. He calls us to live a perfect life. But the problem is, none of us can actually do that. Mother Teresa would have been the first to tell you that she could not live a perfect life. It cannot be done. It's impossible. So the next issue that you've got to deal with is, how do you make up for the gap? How do I close the gap between me and perfection? Billy Graham doesn't have to go that far. Hitler has a pretty long way to go. How do you close that gap? Well, different religious groups explain it in different ways. Some say you have to go to purgatory and work the difference off. Others say that if you fast enough, and do enough things, you can work off the difference. But the problem is that none of us, none of us can do this. And notice the ladder never actually touches heaven. Right? That's the kicker. It doesn't actually matter where you draw the line because God doesn't operate with us on the basis of a ladder at all. Because no matter what ladder you're climbing, it's never going to get you where you need to go. Because there's only one way, and that's for God himself to bridge the gap. And if you follow Jesus, you already know the drill. God's plan was to send Jesus to be perfect on our behalf so that we don't ha even have to mess with the ladder. 
It's not about climbing the ladder at all. It's not about climbing the ladder because God comes on and takes you off the ladder and puts you right where you want to go, right? It's not about climbing and how good I can be. God sent Jesus to rescue us from our sin. And there's no amount of good work that we can do to climb a pretend morality ladder. Because it's like what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Here it is. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might say, Pastor Clark, you don't know what I've done. And I would say back to you, listen, it doesn't really matter what you've done. God wants to have a relationship with you. And God has made it possible for you. If you looked at that morality ladder and you thought to yourself, you don't really know me, man. I'm like in the Hitler zone. I'm kind of like a zero or a three on this ladder. It doesn't matter because God has sent his son to die for all for you all the same. Too many people live with this fear in the back of their minds that they're not far enough up that ladder and believe that the line between heaven and hell is just above the rung that they're on. They feel like, I, I hope that I've been good enough. I hope I've been good enough. They live in fear that they're not, in, they're not really sure but true freedom comes when you realize that you don't have to mess with the morality ladder anymore. And you choose to instead accept what Jesus has already done on your behalf. So maybe you'll try this morality ladder with some people. I think it takes us a little bit of creativity to kind of know how best to meet someone in their spiritual walk. But that's why we need to be spiritually ready. The final way to share your faith is with your invitation. This is simply inviting somebody to come to church on a Sunday. Uh, this is actually how I came to know the Lord. When you look at surveys of why people come to church, the number one reason is because a friend invited them. That's the number one reason why people come to church. This might be the, one of the most effective ways to share your faith. Just ask somebody, how would you like to come to church with me on Sunday? It's a super easy way. People are not threatened by that. You invite somebody by reaching out with an invitation, and you see what God does in their hearts. So in light of all that, why is it important for us to be ready to share our faith? Because God has given us a limited amount of time on this earth. It's like we're all walking around with a stick of dynamite, and we don't know how long the fuse is. Right? We could go at any time. None of us know how much time that we have left or how much time that the people around us have left. We don't know how many more opportunities we're going to have to share our faith with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family. So we need to be ready, physically ready, where God wants us to be, spiritually ready, with eyes to see who God's working in, intellectually ready to share our faith with practical tools, by the way, I just gave four today, but there's a lot of helpful tools to help you that are out there. But whatever works for you, find a way 
to share your faith with those around you. So may we be a church where missional is part of our DNA. A church where we're not just a people that goes to church, but we are a church that goes to people. A church where our everyday lives are our mission field. A church where we understand that we are to live as missional ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I just want to close with a couple verses from Paul to the church in Colossae. Chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4 says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we just praise you. We praise you that our faith is not based on what we do, but instead on what you've done, what you've accomplished on Calvary. Lord, forgive us for not feeling a sense of urgency to share our faith. You've given us just a limited amount of time on this earth to share the gospel with friends, with family members, with neighbors, with coworkers. But Jesus, we just thank you for allowing us to, to re- receive power from your Holy Spirit to be your witness, as Dave mentioned earlier, to be light and darkness. Lord, I ask that you would give us, give our church boldness. Give our church boldness as we proclaim the message of the gospel to the lost, broken, and hurting world. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.